All right, guys, welcome back to Revive School. Here we are, Lesson 5, Isaiah 9 and 10. And Kevin, I, I don't know about you, but it feels like we've done like 40 lessons already in Isaiah. <laughs> it just feels like when we talk about major prophets, like it's a major deal. I, I, look, I'm not even trying to be funny. Like it literally just feels like, man, here you have a prophet Isaiah. Okay, Kevin, if you want to go to our chart, you have a prophet Isaiah who's speaking into the lives of, during a time frame of four kings, you have Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. We just referenced a whole lot about Ahaz. Uh, and here's what's cool. God downloaded a vision to Isaiah. And the vision really isn't that positive, but yet in the middle of it, there's some real positive. I mean, there, it's like a both and. It's kind of like this sandwich. Hey, I hope you like your sandwich. And, you know, but you're like, oh, but there's something really good there, though, too. So he's talking about judgment coming to the southern kingdom. Southern kingdom is Judah and Benjamin, Benjamin, and in there is also uh, Jerusalem. Then you have other prophets that we'll get to later that are speaking into the northern kingdom, the 10 different tribes. And so I just want to make sure everybody understands. Now, here's what's happening is that the 10 tribes, Kevin, I think, Rich, you actually even made a, a, a Pac-Man sound. Nom, 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 nom. Like the Pac-Man commit. Here you have the Assyrians coming in and eating up the northern kingdom. Right, Kevin? They're gone. They're gone. And so Ahaz is freaking out. And in the whole process, what I love is, is Isaiah says, just trust God in the, pro- in the process. And so he gives five different prophecies. And Kevin, we had talked about, I think we only got to two of them yesterday. You're going to find multiple ones in seven and in eight. So I just want to continue to encourage you. Do not miss readings on this, you guys. Like, please continue to plow through the book of Isaiah, which means the Lord is salvation. God is relieving, uh, bringing truth to people that are hurting. Yes, they have to go to captivity for 70 plus years. Yes, it doesn't look good in Babylon. Yes, it looks like they've completely messed it up. But in the middle of all of this, Isaiah releases hope and he says, yeah, but here's the deal. There's going to be a son that's going to be born, born of a virgin. And in this, he's like, destruction's coming to some people, which I think is really, really interesting. Okay, but in the middle of all of this, uh, he says, yeah, but a remnant is coming as well. And so he says there's hope in this. And he says that God is going to be with us. That's our one word that we have for all of Isaiah, Emmanuel. God sent his son in human flesh. I mean, it's the craziest thing. God came here to connect with us. And he died on a cross, was buried, dead, and he came back to life three days later. So amidst all the judgment, amidst all the chaos, Isaiah releases a prophetic word that Ahaz has zero clue about, probably. It's a lot. It's a lot to process. And if I am a king, I would try to be like trying to grasp the truth as well. Like, what? what? <laughs> do I put my hope in God, even though it doesn't look like it looks like they're going to kill me? Or do I put my hope in these nations where I think I can secure a deal? Like, that's what Ahaz does. Like, that's where we ended. And in the middle of this, Isaiah says in in, in, uh, verse 14, he says that God will be with us. He's going to send a son, Emmanuel, and it's going to be, you ready for this? A sign. That's what you have to understand. This birth is going to be a sign that God is going to be with us here 
and now and in the future. It's this already but not yet mentality. If you can have this thought in the book of Isaiah, okay, it's this already, and in DTS, a Dallas Seminary, but not yet. If you can have this mentality, you will begin to understand our circles, right? It's the current situation, it's the first coming, and then it's his return. Like, that's what the book of Isaiah is all about. (laughs) It's all of the above. And so when you look in Isaiah chapter 8, which we didn't even get to yesterday, I'll just tell you, it it talks about like the coming Assyrian invasion. Like because you're choosing, right, Kevin, this was how it worked, because you chose not to receive the sign from the Lord, I'm going to send people. And uh, in the sign of Maher Shalal Hashbez, speed the spoil, hasten the booty, like literally, like that's his name. He's going to come in and clean house. Right. That's the reality. But you don't want to receive like it's going to come in. And so before his child, before this child knows his parents, like uh, you can actually understand that the Assyrians is going to come and take Damascus and Samaria like it's going to happen. That's why his name means everything. The remnant is there and he's going to clean house. All of these things through the two sons. So Assyria is going to pass through Judah. Okay, you have to understand this in Acts. I mean, Isaiah 8. People are going to be rejected the west of certain places. The waters of Assyria are going to fill Judah. You're going to have the the plans. Literally, Assyria is going to, they won't stand though, because in verse 9 and 10 of Isaiah 8, 9 and 10, because God is with them. So Kevin, I think your language is, is that God just spared them enough. (laughs) Right? Pretty much. They knocked at the doorsteps of Jerusalem. They knocked at the doorsteps of Jerusalem. They came in, cleared house, but just enough where they didn't go in. I think this is important to understand, like this is the the mindset that you have coming into chapter 9. But before you do, I want you to understand verses 11 through 15 of Isaiah 8. It says, For this is what the Lord said to me with great power, to keep me from going the way of this people. Verse 12, Do not call everything an alliance. These people say is an alliance. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. Verse 13, You are to regard only the Lord of hosts as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. Verse 14, He will be a sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, he'll be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In verse 15, many will stumble over these. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Kind of an interesting picture is that, look, you need to fear the Lord in this process. And in verses 16 through 18, prophets need to, it's a really cool picture, bind up the testimony, seal up this instruction among my disciples, I will wait for the Lord who's hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him in verse 18. It's talking about the prophets, you guys, needing to find confidence in what they're hearing. Here I am with the children the Lord has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. So as you release these words, prophet Isaiah, understand I'm with you. Trust that I am giving you these words. And by the way, in 19 through 22, don't trust the medians, don't trust the wizards. They cannot be consulted in this process. Trust God in your current situation. I'm going to give you prophecy. You're going to actually see signs. I want you to know that God is with you. I'm going to send a son from a virgin that's going to be a sign. Trust me, he says. That's kind of your backdrop of Isaiah 8 that we didn't get into. So as you go into Isaiah 9, praise the Lord. We have some uh, something positive to look forward to. 
He says in verse nine, uh, I'm sorry, nine, verse one, nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land, right? So Kevin, he's now transitioning, right? From like a a bad picture to to maybe a picture that Mindy's drawing. I'm going to go from the gloom of the distressed land that will be not like that of the former times when he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. Uh, Those are two tribes uh, of uh, the 12 tribes of Israel. And Kevin, those are in the land, the northern kingdom. Uh, They're around the Sea of Galilee, he says, but in the future, he'll bring honor to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to the Galilee of the nations. So here you have Zebulon. It's a northern border on the northeast Galilee, west of the Jordan River, first to suffer from the Assyrian king. Okay, so here you have Zebulon and Naphtali. So as they come, they're going to start taking out these areas first. Okay, I think that's important to understand. They're the first to suffer, okay? But at the same time, and and they're the ones that are going to begin to experience the dark days that are coming. The captivity that we're talking about, uh, by the way, Zebulon and Naphtali, I don't know how to describe this. They're going to experience the light. In in verse 2, this is exactly what it says. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. The coming of the Messiah, the the son that's going to be born of a virgin is going to actually come to this region. This region that's just outside of the Sea of Galilee, which outside of the Sea of Galilee is the home base of one that we would call Jesus of Nazareth. What an awesome picture. Here you have Jesus being the light. Uh, if you go to John 8, 12, what a cool picture. You're going to see the seven I am's in the Gospel of John. And this is the one that really speaks to me. It says, and Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anybody who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So here you have a description of Jesus. He is the light. And then, uh, man, this is kind of crazy. Uh, Kevin, you jumped already. You're going to go to... Uh, you need to back up though for me. Yeah. So Isaiah is speaking about these things in Matthew four, verse 14. It says, this was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. So here you have the gospel writer, Matthew writing. He says, all right, some things are going to happen that Isaiah spoke about that's going to come to fruition. So the things that we just read in Isaiah nine, in verse one, that says there's going to be light coming to a dark place because they experienced the captivity first. Okay. Everybody with me? These things are now going to come to fruition in Matthew four fifteen, land of Zebulon, in the land of Naphtali. What? Along the sea road, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And for those living in the shadow land of death, light has dawned. <laughs> Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, 1. He is the one that fulfills Isaiah 9, 2. He is truly the Redeemer. Kevin, if you want to go to Luke 1, 78 through 79, please. Luke 1, 78 through 79. It says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high, look at that image. The dawn, like the sun, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. a long time ago. You want to go to our chart, Kevin, for a second? 
So here you have, let's just go along with the dates of these charts, okay? Here you have Isaiah 740 to 680. Let's just use the earlier date, 680. We're talking, you guys, 700 years. This guy prophesied that Zebulon and Naphtali are going to experience destruction and darkness and gloom because of the Assyrian king. And oh, on the flip side, a light's going to come. And a light's going to come and bring hope to this area that first experienced bondage. Jesus is the answer. And the prophet Isaiah pointed to that. So now all of a sudden, in Zebulon and Naphtali, uh, guess what? In his coming, he fulfills that light. So what they experience, now Jesus actually fulfills. Let's go to verse 3 if we can. It says, You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. Uh, this whole you've enlarged the nation and increased its joy. I want you to picture this image of, you know, in Genesis, uh, go to Genesis 22, Kevin, I think it is. Genesis 22, verse 17. You know, here, here's this image. Genesis 22, 17, I will indeed bless you. This is the promise to Abram. I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. Here's what's interesting about this. Kevin, this was a promise that was a long time ago to Abram. Okay, before Solomon, before David, before Saul, like a long time ago, God says, oh yeah, all your descendants, I'm going to bless. If I'm scratching my head and I'm a prophet, I'm thinking, man, this doesn't feel right. Like, how can they go into captivity? Like, it looks like everything is totally disappearing. But he even brings back this promise, you guys, in verse 3. I'm going to enlarge the nation. I'm going to actually multiply what I confirmed in my covenant with Abraham. I have not forget, forgotten. That's why I love when he throws in these little nuggets of house of David. It's like, if you know the word, God continues to fulfill his promises. His promises endure forever. He says in verse 4, for you, capital U, you have shattered their burdensome yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. I mean, eventually, you guys, MacArthur says it well, the Lord's going to free national Israel from their bondage. That's going to be the Assyrians, the Babylonians, and all the foreign power. So it's kind of like they have to hold on to Isaiah 9 when they go into captivity. Right? I mean, that's really what he's saying. He's like, I'm going to actually shatter the things that you're carrying and the weight you're carrying, but I haven't forgotten what you've done. And he says, for the trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as far for the fuel. In other words, this is a cool picture. There won't be any more war. Eventually, there's going to be universal peace that will only come, not at the first coming, but at the return. So now we're kind of going from current the first coming, right? That's where we're entering into the first coming. But now into verse five, we're talking about all of a sudden we're talking about the return. Like after he comes, you can promise that the world will no longer, as MacArthur says, need the accessories of warfare because of universal peace that will come through the return of Christ. In fact, all those things are going to be burned as fuel for the fire. You won't need them anymore. So you literally just went from the current state to, hey, Zebulon and Naphtali, sorry, not going to look good at first, but he's coming back. He's going to help you. He's going to establish truth in your environment. And then eventually, 
All of us get to experience this. So here you have in the first five verses what, what Mark Copeland says, better days are coming. I like that image. And he says in verse six, uh, what does this look like? You know, uh, I think this is a cool picture. And this is what we would call the Christmas prophecies. Okay, Uh, and in fact, let let me just kind of give you something before we even get into the into into verse uh, six. What do I mean by Christmas prophecies? Well, first of all. Like, why do we celebrate the birth of Christ? Well, what are some of those things? If you want to go to Micah 5, 2, Kevin. Okay. Micah 5, 2 says that the Messiah, first and foremost, is going to be born uh, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, Ephraphath. You are small among the clans of Judah. One will come from you to be a ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from eternity. So here you have, you're talking about the Messiah's birth. Okay. Major prophet speaks about this. This is crazy, by the way. I mean, if you go to our list here in Micah, Kevin, here you have Micah all of a sudden articulating his text. Uh, Micah is going to be... Micah is right under Isaiah. And so here you have Micah prophesying that Jesus is going to be, you know, 0 AD, 0. <laughs> He's going to be born in a little town in Bethlehem. Then at the same time, you have Isaiah 7. Isaiah seven fourteen, The Messiah is going to be born uh, of a virgin. So now we know where he's going to be born. We know that he's going to come from a virgin woman. Matthew 1, 23, if you'll go there, Kevin. Again, some of you are like, I know all this. I know. I just, I, I don't want to miss this on this one, you guys. Okay. Uh, Matthew 1, 23 says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they will name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So God is going to be with us. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be born of a virgin. And it just says, again, just to reiterate here, we're going to name him Emmanuel, God with us. Now, here's where we go to today. Kevin, you're going to go back to Isaiah 9, 6. Okay. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. Well, in the context of Isaiah, you guys, he's speaking into the kings. He's speaking into all of the people. Kevin, we're in a political season. That's what they want. So this is the language that they're going to get. The government will be on his shoulders. Here's what this son's going to be called. He'll have a name called Wonderful Counselor. He'll have a name called Mighty God. He'll have a name called Eternal Father. He'll have a name called Prince of Peace. The Messiah that is God will now be in, and I'll just summarize this, he's going to be in human flesh. And he's going to take in all of these names. And guess what? He's going to actually run the government. Now, what you also have is in Isaiah 9, 6. Uh, this is a generic title, and I'm okay with it because I think you'll get the picture here. In Isaiah 9, 6, uh, John MacArthur says something very simple, is that Messiah is going to bring peace on earth. And then finally, the last thing of the Christmas prophecies is Isaiah 9, 7 is a, a Messiah is going to be um, 
Well, let me read Isaiah 9, 7. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. He will rule on, ready for this, on David's throne. This is the context, okay, that we are focusing on today. So now, Kevin, if you go back to Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, remember... Uh, and specifically in verse 6, I like this image. A child emphasizes the humanity. Okay? The son emphasis actually emphasizes the deity. Okay? Both of these elaborate more on our title, Emmanuel. A child is going to be born. i got to keep emphasizing it's Born to a virgin. A virgin is going to be the royal son of David. And then the royal son has the heir and the rights to the Davidic throne. Okay? All of this points to... Even though the situation is really bad, captivity is not going to be good. On the backside, we will have a son that will run everything. That's really what he says. And he breaks this down uh, despite how Israel functions. <laughs> so how do you describe these words? First of all, uh, I think this is a cool picture. Can you go to Psalm 2, verse 9? Psalm 2, verse 9. It says, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will shatter them like a pottery. Strangely enough, you guys, this right here is in reference to back to Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6, this is actually a fulfillment. Isaiah 9, 6 is a fulfillment of Psalm 2, uh, Psalm 2 and 9. The sun is going to rule the nations, you guys, of the world. Kevin, if you go to Revelation 2, 27, uh, this is just the emphasis of the government side of things. It says, he will shepherd them with an iron scepter. He will shatter them like pottery, just as I have received this from my father. So here you have Emmanuel, God with us, coming to rule the government. Okay, so he will have this fulfillment. Now, wonderful counselor. Seems like, Kevin, an interesting phrase. <laughs> uh, you, you could pick any, any, any title that we could in Isaiah. You could, you could call Jesus the wonderful counselor in all of this. Like that could be our phrase. It could be the phrase mighty God. The, the wonderful counselor mentality is, is that in contrast to Ahaz, the king, uh, this king will actually implement supernatural spiritual wisdom when he's actually leading folks. He'll actually depend upon the presence of God. I like this is that there's nothing dull about this process. Wonderful actually means it's exciting. It's encouraging. And he's going to use his wisdom to actually rule. No, oh, by the way, it's going to be a son born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem, and it's God with us. There's another phrase here, mighty God. I love this phrase because to me, what do you do with these religions out there? And they're false religions, by the way, that say Jesus is the Savior, but he's not God. If you do that game, you don't look at Scripture completely in its entirety. That, that's really what it comes down to. How can Jesus only be human but not be God? You look at this text in Isaiah 9, 6. Clearly, he is a, prophet, uh, he is a fulfillment of an Isaiah 9, 6. Mighty God actually means he has the power, as Wearsby says, to execute plans. He comes in and functions as a warrior. This Messiah will actually accomplish the military exploits that are mentioned in everything that we've been talking about. So think about the description that we've been talking about up to this point. Like these images fit with what the Israelites need to see. He's coming in with counsel. He's coming in with wisdom. You know, by the way, he's going to kick butt. <laughs> he's going to come in and clean house. He is a mighty God. And oh, by the way, it's Yeshua. Kevin. Well, I think that's some of why our Jewish friends miss 
Christ the first time is because that's what they were looking for in that coming. Great point. Uh, another language that is confusing. He's listed as eternal father, everlasting father. What? <laughs> How does that work? Well, first of all, I want you to understand that the Messiah is going to be the father to his people eternally. Uh, as Davidic king, he will, I want to just say this, as MacArthur puts it, he'll compassionately care and disciple his people. Like he comes in as a father figure. He comes in as a shepherd. It doesn't mean he replaces the father. That makes sense. He doesn't replace the father. Another way of putting it is uh, another word for father originally back with the Hebrew. Okay. Would it mean that it could mean originator or source? So he could be uh, that language of father mentality. Think about it on another way. Satan is known as the father of lies. I think if you have that mentality of, well, maybe Jesus could be, you know, the the father of eternity, the original source, then you can understand this process. That's kind of a cool picture. And then finally, you know, all of the chaos with this. I mean, good Lord, there's just constant fighting, people releasing prophetic words. Nobody's getting along. Amen. He comes as the Prince of Peace. God with us. That government will bring peace and sustainability among all of the nations. Praise the Lord for these prophetic words that a prophet Isaiah releases to the people of Israel. And he doesn't want them to miss this. (laughs) I'm just going to summarize kind of a... I think the rest of this, because I, this is a really, to me, this is a powerful image of, of who is uh, Christ. I don't know, Kevin, you want to add anything to this? Christ is the fulfillment of the prophecy, but the prophecy is yet to come. What happens is he releases this prophetic word, and then in uh, 9.8, all the way through 10.4, all the way into the next chapter, you begin to see Israel, meaning Ephraim and Samaria. Okay, so Israel, meaning Ephraim and Samaria, they begin to fall uh, despite their arrogance. Like things are at this point truly falling apart. So it's this prophetic word. It's this current situation. And then it says, it jumps to verse 13 through 17. Israel is to fall for refusing to repent. So it's happening. And then they still have a chance as the people did not turn to him who struck them. They did not seek the Lord of hosts. How many times did he say, just turn to the Lord? Ahaz, turn to the Lord. He doesn't leave. He doesn't turn to the Lord. Then the people don't turn to the Lord. And then in verses 18 through 21, you begin to see punishment coming to Israel. I mean, look at this one in verse 19. The land is scorched by the wrath of the Lord of hosts and the people are like fuel for the fire. No one has compassion on his brother. They like it doesn't end well. Verse 21, it closes out and says Manasseh is with Ephraim and Ephraim with Manasseh. Together, both are against Judah in all of this. His anger is not removed and his hand is still raised to strike. So here you have Joseph's two sons, the tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. They are completely normally fighting against each other, by the way. And in this context, now they decide to unite and fight against Judah. All of this, you guys, I believe, could have been resolved by turning to the Lord. But who's willing to take the the step who's willing to walk out this ridiculous path of humility and repentance. Can I just tell you, in this context right now, nobody. When you look at this, look, look at this. This all right here is a result of sin. Praise the Lord. 
even though the situation looks bad, there's hope. That's what I love about Isaiah. I think it's us. I think we go through times where I look and I see the green and I say, how on earth am I going to get out of this situation? How on earth am I going to overcome where I feel like everything is going against me? And then you just have to go back to that Isaiah 9 and just know that he serves as what? Our wonderful counselor. He serves as our everlasting eternal father. He serves as our prince of peace. He serves as our Emmanuel. But you have to hold on to that hope. You have to keep your eyes on him, not on anything else in the green time. (laughs) And I think that's what, for me, that's what I keep taking away from this is, is like, can I and will I be the remnant that even though everything else looks bad, will I still hold, hold on to the hope so that I can be the light for those around me? Christ came and we're supposed to do the same thing. All right, guys, Isaiah 9 and 10. Uh, We didn't really get to 10. Maybe we'll talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. Thanks. Have a good day.